Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. If you know me, you know how obsessed I am with live performance. To me, nothing replaces being in a theater and the lights going down and the orchestra starts to play and that first moment of magic. And I know the way I feel about theater, some people feel about sports or opera or dance or comedy or food. And what if there was a place that you could go and find out which live events are going on near you that night, and then for a discount price, you can get off your couch, put down that clicker, and experience the magic that is live performance. Well, there is a place, goldstar.com. You just go to that website, you type in your city, and every amazing live event will be listed at discount prices. Theater, dance, comedy, film, food, concerts, sports. No more staying home. You are going to go out and build memories and experiences that expand your mind and heart through live performance with goldstar.com. Goldstar is in 26 cities around the country with over 8 million members already signed up to find out what event is going on near you. So go to goldstar.com. Get out of your house and build memories that are magic for you and your family. Expand your mind, expand your hearts. Go see live performance by using goldstar.com. Tell them Alana sent you. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Alana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guest today, she grew up with the likes of Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim just sitting around the piano at her house at parties. And now, well, she's a Tony-nominated composer-lyricist herself. Welcome the extraordinary Amanda Green to the podcast. A-OK. Hey, everybody. My guest today is the Tony-nominated songwriter and composer Amanda Green. Some of her theater credits include High Fidelity, Bring It On the Musical, Hands on a Hard Body, Debbie Does Dallas. She has added additional material to such shows as On the 20th Century and Kiss Me Kate. Her frequent collaborators include two unknowns named Tom Kitt and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, (laughs) She and her Broadway friends perform her original songs at places like Carnegie Hall, Feinstein's, The Regency, Cho's Pub, Birdland, and many more amazing places. She has written for the television. She's a regular contributor of comic essays for Playboy magazine. She's the daughter of the Tony Award-winning actress Phyllis Newman. She is also the daughter of Adolph Green of the legendary team of Comden and Green. She's one of the most talented, hilarious, and kind humans I know. And I get to welcome Amanda Green to my podcast. 
Hey, welcome to well, me. Welcome to you. Yay. All thank of you it. so much. It's taken just years to figure out how to trap you in a room with me for a long time, and I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> My work here Escaped is done. the room. Exactly. Yes. I, that would, this would be a crazy escape the room. What That's would the true. clues be like? I, you got me there. I got this I got is... myself there. Yeah. I've stumped myself. Yeah. Uh, listeners, just send in some funny tweets about what the Escape the Room would look like for my podcast booth. That's right. It would have to be like trivia, musical theater questions. Yeah. That would be really fun. I mean, can I share a little known fact about me? I've never, anytime there's been like any kind of birthday party or like, hey, let's do an Escape the Room. Do you know what my RSVP is? No. I am not available. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am not one bit available. Yeah. Um, the pedigree, legacy, and headiness mm-hmm. of who you are the spawn of mm-hmm. is so crazy that I I hesitate to even begin there because having had friends, some mutual friends of ours who are also the children of like the most celebrated writers on the planet or the most celebrated actors, musicians, we were talking before we started recording being friends with the Bernstein children, um, that that is a lot for a person to carry. Mm-hmm. And yet it seems to me that you have this incredible gift and at some point in time you're like I'm going to do it anyway yeah I think um, you know youth and um, <laughs> and when I say spawn I mean gorgeous sexy brilliant talented yeah, well, person yeah I'm not Clearly. a but with a few hairs <laughs> no. <laughs> no 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 uh, yeah no I think um, la- a lack of um, experience and youth were on my side because you know you just think you can do anything and it never um, dawned on me to be daunted. Which, right. For some reason, I don't know why. Because then looking back and I was like, what made you? Why am I not you? an accountant? Yes. Uh, but they always made it seem like such a fun life. Uh, I, I saw how much fun they were having and their friends. And I would thought, I'm not going to be an accountant. I right. want to do that. I want to do what they're doing. Um, so I, I came to writing a little later. I went to uh, acting school and that didn't really, I wasn't really getting parts. I was, you know, getting waitering gigs. So I started writing also songs. Also not easy, by not the way. Easy. I was Don't the worst. sell I, yourself like short. Like a lot of people, a terrible waitress. Uh, but um, so I just started doing it and I loved doing it. And uh, I felt... Uh, Not in terms of how people received me, but in terms of how comfortable I felt in Mm -hmm. the genre uh, that I felt I could do it. Were you already – first of all, I think many people think – and and I'm sure you had to sort of um, navigate this as a young person. Many people thought Betty Comden and Adolph Green were a couple. Right. Right. They we're not. Nichols and May were not married. Comden and Green were not married. Mm-hmm. Um, you had your very own mother who was Phyllis her Newman. Phyllis yes. Newman, who was his very own wife. And True. he was her very own husband. Um, did you feel like people were constantly confusing that in the world or not really who was married to whom? And- oh, yeah, they did all the time. Did yes. your mom have a sense of humor about that? Uh, on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> For a short while, uh, when my husband was on Nurse Jackie, people would call me Edie Falco's husband's wife. And I was like, that's actually the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. Oh, I hope it isn't. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you think you could say something nicer to me today than that? Try to top that. But it's just a way in which people you aren't thinking. in your overalls. Thank you. Not everyone can carry these off, but you I do. Can't. You do. Forever 21, shopping for my daughter, always come home with something for of myself. Course, so so you're in reading about um, your dad, uh, 
and your mom. Your mom's parents were hand like carny folk. Yeah, literally carny folk. Did uh, you know mom, your grandparents on either I side? Did. My, I, I was very close with my grandmother who died when I was thirteen. But she, uh, which I grandmother? My mother's mother. Okay. Uh, I didn't know until after she died because she didn't want her grandkids to know that she was a fortune teller, and she. So that was not part of your dialogue with her. Not she would at not all. tell your fortune. She well, uh, she did once. Yeah, she did. But it, I never knew that was her profession. Wow. She did. You know, um, I should have known when I now looking back. There was a crystal ball in her apartment. Not normal in like not most normal. Jewish households. Um, but she really had devoted followers, and um, she did it when my mom was little. Like she told uh, fortunes on the boardwalk of Atlantic City while my mother was doing her Carmen Miranda act in a hotel. And my grandfather was a jack of all trades, um, all sort of shifty, none of them really successful, which included uh, selling hats, being a psychiatrist, although he had no formal or informal education. And uh, he had a hypnotizing cat named Puffy. Uh, so he rented Carnegie Hall out for Puffy's debut. So it's, you know, the typical <laughs> typical <What>? family. <laughs> so where did your mom grow up? Jersey City. Okay. Yeah. And and somehow her parents, who were married to each other, yes. they stayed married. Yes, sixteen. You know, off the boat. One million. Sixteen and off the boat from uh, Russia. Okay. Yeah. And where were your father's parents from? Hungary. All right. Was your father an immigrant or his parents, his parents were, were immigrant? immigrant? And your Immigrants. mom, so both your parents were born here. Yes. First generation. First generation. Did your grandparents speak Yiddish? My grandmother did. I, she's my grandfather died when I was very young. Okay, I, I never met or heard anything about my my father's parents. Wow, he didn't talk about them. So uh, my grandmother spoke Yiddish. Yes. Okay, so there is sort of. Um, I mean, I could spend the next two hours talking about the fortune teller and the psychiatrist and Puffy slash and all of that hypnotist slash right. magician slash whatever. I mean, yeah. talk about performance being in your blood and bravery. Being yes, in your blood, absolutely, right? Absolutely. Um, so your mom won a Tony Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, your dad ended up writing. Uh, I'll just bury the lead. Singing in the rain. Yes, he wrote that. Right. The yes. most. So all of this is to say, uh, and I believe Leonard Bernstein was his camp counselor. Or is that mythology? You can, you can re- no, they were. They met at camp. Oh, and okay. He was a music music uh, director at this camp, at a fifteen year old music director, and my dad was up there playing the Pirate King and the Pirates of Penzance. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So these are long, long relationships. Very long. Yes. Um, so all of this leads me to kind of just try to get a picture of what it was like. You grew up in New York City mm-hmm. with a brother yes. who's older or younger than Adam you. Is three years older. Okay. Much older brother. Scads. <laughs> Scads. Tell me a little bit about what it was, um, because most of us did not grow up in a household with those, the level of artistry that all of these people in your parents' lives inhabited and mm-hmm. sort of, and the success that these people inhabited. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in your household. Uh, it was, there was no more fun place to be when they were having parties. They threw great parties. My mother was a wonderful party giver. And uh, it was a, a few different things. Their parties were incredibly exciting for us as kids and then, you know, teenager and on. I mean, it was all the people you would think were playing at their piano from Leonard Bernstein's, you know, Sondheim, Julie Stein. 
um, Cy Coleman, Betty McCall's singing, everybody singing. You know, my father and Betty Comden, you know, perform. Everybody was out doing themselves to perform. And uh, our next door neighbor was Isaac Stern, and he would be like, I'm going to run next door and get my fiddle. And he and Lenny would play. I mean, it was it was that level of thing. But I also, there was kind of an irony of it because I would sort of show up at school the next day and boast about it and no one gave a shit. Right, Because, right. you know, Julie Stein is not exactly the coin of the realm in middle school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody like you said, Robert Redford or yeah. a Beatle. Nobody cares. But in so our was, world. I, I knew it was special, but it wasn't really. It right. Didn't, it didn't make So you were not cool. in school with other theater luminaries' children? Not particularly. Okay. No. no okay. Really. Did no. you go to school in New York City? I did. Not yeah. boarding school. You went no. to regular? Regular school. Okay. Yeah. So at some point, are you singing at the piano along with everybody? Or are you shy yeah. about I, it? Yeah. No, I always like to be singing. And um, I do remember I, this one where I was 15 and... And my parents invited this young guy to come and play the piano at a, you know, just sure he wanted to come and play. And it was Michael Feinstein. Mm. And like nobody was paying attention. So I was just sort of like, "Um, okay, uh, play this. And I just was like... It was me and Michael Feinstein and me telling you were like trying to to make him feel better. I was like, and and also bossing him around. It's hilarious. That's amazing. He must have been like awesome gig. How old do you think he was at the time? A young man. Yes. Um, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about because the names that you're throwing out, most people just will never have personal experiences with the likes of Leonard Bernstein or Stephen Sondheim. what is it like in a room that is social and not working with those kinds of people? Uh, it was like being there. They're incredibly, especially at a party setting. I mean, incredibly smart and witty. Um, Are they competitive with each other? Are sure, they... they would get competitive. I always like telling the story that uh, the Bernsteins had a Christmas party every year, and Lenny would lead the carols. And the, in the Dakota. In the Dakota. And there'd be the 12 days of Christmas and everyone would get a day. And God help you. I'm terrified to get a day. I mean, I, I loved, I was like getting, you know, I like performing. I'm a ham. You know, I'd get, a, you know, three French hens. And it'd be like, three French hens. He's like, you're flat. You know, I mean, you just were like, ah, you know. <laughs> it, it was a I lot thought it was pressure. just a Christmas party. <laughs> right. Are we recording this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we took so, it seriously. Very seriously. Even but at his Christmas party. Fun, serious fun. You know. So are you spending many a night uh, in a theater, watching theater, watching them work? Did your mom continue acting when she had kids? Uh, both those things. Yes, she did continue acting, and um, and my father continued writing. I mean, we... We went to rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, some of the most, the happiest memories of my childhood were being backstage and uh, or sitting in the audience and watching my mom perform. Or uh, I, my dad, we went out of town with my dad for a, a week when he was doing On the 20th Century when we were kids. So, I mean, that was, those were the perks. I mean, I, we absolutely loved it. Nothing more fun than being in a rehearsal. Especially when it's not your own, over. right? I mean, you're right. a kid, you know. Yes. So you're the mascot. The fans are fussing yes. over you, and yeah, totally. Yeah. So there was nothing about it that made you shy away from it. And once it became clear, were you a child actress? 
No, much to my chagrin. <laughs> You're like, that, that would have been I mean, I yet. still, I'm still, you know, have resentment about not getting into Annie. You know? But I'm asking because these are all people making work and you're interested in it. Was there a rule in your house like you can't do it till you're older or was no. it not even on your radar to it was, do it no, yourself? I, I honestly, you know, I wish I was preternatural preternaturally talented, you know, that I opened my mouth and had an astonishing voice, but I have a nice voice, but it wasn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a Broadway caliber voice. So when Otherwise, I would have pushed again. Totally. <laughs> totally. But are you doing them in school? Are you doing oh, school yes. shows? Oh, yes. School shows. I, I, yes. I was bossy. I couldn't wait to be in them. I, I lived for it. Camp. I lived for it. What camp did you go to? I went to Camp Chimney Corners. Okay. <laughs> wow. And yeah. they kept the name. They did. No one... <laughs> still exists. Wow. Yeah. And is that a theater? No. Per... It's just a camp that just had camp. stuff that you could do. Yeah. So you could do art or you could be in the shows. Yeah. Are we going to get past... I'm 12 because I've really done stuff. I swear. Oh. <laughs> Past the age of 12. We can, <laughs> we can skip decades. <laughs> just promise me we'll I get just <laughs> Um, I did play Maria in West Side Story at Chimney Corners Camp. So I am going to fast forward a little bit, but it is just for me. Most people really love to go back to that time. It helps them like remember their origin story and sort of, um, but I guess some people it's, not as fun for you may be one of them no that's all right it's okay so anyway yes absolutely i just wanted to set up a little bit for my listeners who just didn't understand kind of the the legacy absolutely that comes along with my parents you know would always tell us how what a terrible profession it is and i saw that you know i mean they had a lot of frustrations and and even though in the in the theater world they were the epitome of success they had many frustrations and failures and setbacks and uh and were you aware of that as a kid absolutely you know oh my god the show closed after you know the show they'd been working on for five years closed after right. two weeks or my mom didn't get the part or you know i mean that kind of thing she yeah. was frustrated so i i saw, so you saw the, all of it i did but mostly they and their friends were insanely successful mm-hmm. and smart and funny and why wouldn't you want to be in that world? Yes. That's certainly the world Listen, I Listen, all to of be us in. who didn't even grow up in that want to be in of that course. world without any real knowledge of what the inner sanctum of it all yes. looks like. But it was interesting. When I started doing it myself, I realized how little I knew about what the inner sanctum of it was. In what way? Uh, writing is, of course, you can only, you only know what writing is by writing. Right. So that was its own lesson. Mm-hmm. I went to the BMI musical theater writing workshop and I did that for four or five years, um, which helped me, uh, get off the ground. Uh, and then I didn't know, I really didn't know how the business worked. Right. Uh, one of the, one of the not pleasant surprises of being a writer was I finally had my first show on Broadway and it was the first day of Broadway rehearsals and they handed out checks for everybody and they passed me by <laughs> like, I was like what? wait wait where's my check I don't get a check you don't get a check well what do you get you get I mean we got a small advance because we were all first time uh, Broadway people right uh, you know a, ti- a pittance and then until the show opens and gets box office receipts you do not you get- do not get a weekly paycheck. That's I spent so interesting. Years and you know, I we went on the road, and I got a per diem. You know, so you know, fifty dollars a day for the thing and and housing, but no salary. And you know, and 
so I, that was an utter shock That's to me. so interesting. An so the shock. company managers walking around and, and you're handing like, them oh, out. You're like, wait, oh, uh, green? I, green? Oh, oh, you're not going alphabetically. No. <laughs> Got it. Usually I'm one of the first. <laughs> nope. So you would think I would know that. You know, and I remember I grew up with my dad always having to, like, take uh, – not always, but often – if a show is having trouble, they ask the uh, writers to waive their royalties. So I'd seen that, but right. um, I didn't. I didn't know that about the paycheck. So I know that you went to Brown. I did. When you went to Brown University, which congratulations! I have a daughter. We're about to start the college process. How nice for you to know where you're going and to have gone and graduated. Awesome. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, what was your thought when you started college? Did you? go in thinking I'm going to be a professional performer at the time? I wanted to be an actor. Uh-huh. Yes. And did you do shows while you were there? I did many shows while I was there. Yeah. So then you got out, and it sounds like, to just truncate it, you started to kind of pound the pavement. Then I, well, I went to acting school, the Circle and Square program, for two years. Right. And then, you know, and then I did Williamstown for two summers as a non-equity. And are you writing a, songs, like, no. always? Like I, you, well, I wrote, I did things like, I did, um, my parents had a 25th wedding anniversary, and I think this was the first song I wrote, and I thought I'd write a song for them, and it was a party, and I literally followed I think Leonard Bernstein mm-hmm. had written a song for that. I followed Leonard Bernstein at the piano with my little, Mom and Dad, I love you so much. You know, I mean, I don't 25 know. 25 years. That's it. That's it. You heard it. Were you there? <laughs> I was there. 25 years. <laughs> I was catering. And, and it's never better. But so I, you know, with the total chutzpah, you know, right. follow, you know. Did it rhyme? Of course it rhymes. So this was the beginning. This of was your... the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and and I wrote a, a song or two with a friend of mine and started singing in cabarets as a as a waiter. And I loved that. And one day I wrote, I sang a song I wrote and I felt it was just intoxicating to... For you. For me. To have, it felt powerful to sing something I had written and communicate a feeling that I had. And I asked you this when we bumped into each other at a benefit recently, Mm -hmm. sort of in terms of like when you started to play piano or what's your relationship to be able to write songs with an instrument in your hand. It wasn't guitar, it was piano. It was piano. Always. Yes. Yes. And is that how you still write? I do. You know, I'm a lyricist primarily for the show. I've written many songs, music right. and lyrics. It is the piano. I, I did also, I have taken guitar lessons in my adult life, so I can write songs on the guitar. Very rudimentary, but uh, like Hands on a Hard Body, I wrote, you know, the songs for half the score. Right. I did it on the piano. I did it on the guitar. I did it singing and and figuring it out and then figuring it out the chords. Right. And all, you know, all those ways. So I read, and you can Tell me, because Wikipedia is not always the greatest research no. tool. But did you go to Nashville? I didn't move to Nashville, but when I, I had uh, day jobs for uh, until I was in my early to mid thirties. Okay, um, because it's very difficult making a living as an artist, as right. we all know. Uh, so I had a day job, and I would go to. I started taking a songwriting workshop before theater. Uh, I fell in love with the songs of Lyle Lovett because he was so witty and funny. And I was yes. like, I'm witty and funny. Those are theater songs yeah, in I'm, a way. I'm yeah. witty and funny. You Where are. do I get to do that and not do musical theater? Because that felt like a foreign thing to Why? me. Why? How could that feel like a foreign I, thing to I you? I divorced myself Tony from nominated it. Amanda Thank Green you. for Broadway. I divorced myself from musical theater. Not, uh, not, I mean, probably an unconscious 
rebellion, but I just was like, that's not me. I love pop music. I love rock. I love So you were not someone music. who grew up listening oh, to I cast did. recordings? Oh, I, you oh, did. I did. They I spoke memorized, to you. Oh, my God. Okay. You know, I can. I, but you didn't see that lyric. for yourself at the no, time? No, I did not. Okay. So I, I went to Nashville and I would go on a week or two week writing junkets because that's what you do there. But how do you even, like, for someone who doesn't know how to do that, I what does that I had mean? my songwriting teacher hooked me up with someone who gave me that, you know, I could stay on their couch and then I went to an open mic night and I met a songwriter and you start writing. You, it, It's a network. You can okay. just, it's like in the water. So there. somehow you get yourself to Nashville and you then get yourself it's to happening Nashville. there. It's happening all around you. I got, you know, BMI set me up with writers and publishers set me up, you know, and, you know, you get a network of people and okay. I did it for several years. Okay. So yeah. that's how it begins. And who, how are you learning the craft, you know, now you go on Facebook and like there's a master class with everyone great in every weather. You know, it's Joyce Carol Oates. It's it's Steven Spielberg. Right. Like, yeah, you can kind of have access. You and I grew up before the Internet was a tool to learn things, mm-hmm. not just like look at things that are bad for us, but also like hear from people we admire in very deep ways about the craft of the thing. Yes. But when you were starting, how how are you learning the craft? Obviously, there is a there is in your household there were people writing amazing songs. Yes. But how did you start developing I went to, specifically I did a songwriting your voice? Work, a pop songwriting workshop with a teacher I loved for about four years, five years, and then I so decided to go into the BMI Musical Theater Workshop. Not, I mean, I won't Do, say on a lark, but right. I just was like, oh, let me see this. And um, and that's when I, the, my first theater song, I said, oh, God, this is where I belong. Huh. I was 33. What was it? Three. Is it something you still sing at cabarets or? Uh, I wrote a song before I got there called Every Time a Friend Succeeds, A Little Piece of Me Dies Inside. <laughs> and that was my, that was my first hit, if I could call it that. <laughs> I do still sing How that sometimes. How does that start? How did that song start? How does the song start? Like, what are the first words of that song? Do you uh, remember off the top of your my head? My good friend came to dinner and without so much as howdy do, he launched into his triumphs like I'm some guy from Channel 2. I nodded as the list went on. Seems he had quite a stack. My smile grew wide and wider till I thought my face would crack. Oh, every time a friend succeeds, a little piece of me just dies inside. You know, that's it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So when you look back to the first, I mean, your career has been astonishing because the things you have touched, unlike most people, so many of your things have gone on, not just to have productions, but to be on Broadway, which is an extraordinary feat. And you are mm-hmm. still a younger person. And it's incredible the things you have accomplished, the people you've worked with on every level of the creative team. Um, when you think back to that first kind of pop song class that you took, mm-hmm. are there things that you learned that you still think of in terms of your craft or how you approach writing that you that you still use from the very beginning of your learning process? Uh, yes, of course. They're little things. I mean, uh, in terms of interesting chord progressions and uh, BMI especially about, uh, I learned so much about perfect rhymes and, and writing for character and and you do it by trial and error too, and and instinct of knowing the moment the, where the song belongs. And, right. Uh, I, I use that all the time. The things I learned in BMI, especially. So tell me, what was the first show that you wrote that got done? 
The first show I wrote that got done was called Up the Week Without a Paddle that I wrote with my friend Curtis Moore, who I'm writing a, another musical with now. Is we this met... the one that you song, uh, sang a song from? Yes, Okay, because yes. I want to talk about that. Are you okay. allowed to talk about that? Of course I am. Okay. Of course I am. Great. Uh, so he was at the BMI Musical Theater Workshop with me, as was Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkey and Bobby Lopez, who wrote, you know. Um, what was it, Frozen? Mormon, Mormon Avenue yeah. Q, a couple He's doing of great. He's doing all right. Um, we were all in the same class. Was he working on, I mean, Avenue Q was at, earlier in his career. Was he? Do you think he was working on that at the time that well, you I were there? Well, I know he was in our, starting in the end of the first year of, of wow. Uh, BMI. Wow. Yeah. So that's, yeah. you know, for actors, it's kind of like, who are the people in their first shows or acting class that become their community mm-hmm. as they embark well, that's upon what, it? BMI was very important to me in finding my community. Incredibly important. I mean, it seemed to me, I, I'm very glad I went because there's a part of you and that people always say, hey, you, if you write, you're a writer. And, you know, you're Adolph Green's kid. Why do you have to go to a class? Yeah. Because I had to learn and yeah. I had to find my own community. Yes. And, and your I, generation. Of course. For sure. Of course. So did you and Tom, uh, was High Fidelity the that was first, our first Broadway yes. show you did? And, yeah. and did you guys start, did you go like, I love this book. Oh, I love this book. I love this movie. Like, yeah. how well, did that... he started out, he, he offered to be my musical director. He was this young guy and I was like, oh, okay. And uh, yeah, let's, sure, why not? And I remember one time he came to play uh, a gig for me in a song and I said, oh, oh, wait, you don't have the sheet music. He's like, I don't need the sheet music. And I was like, hmm? you're a freak. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, and he came to me with the idea for High Fidelity and, and uh it's a big sojourn to get the rights and find out and where the rights were and get producers. It was very exciting. And I will say this, that at the time that that's happening, Tom Kidd is my piano teacher. So oh. the idea that like yes. he's playing for you, he's writing a musical that will go to Broadway. He's still doing piano lessons to pay the bills yes. and then is sort of... He was my, my stepkid's piano teacher, too. He's a great teacher. He is a wonderful teacher. And Tom, I'm sorry, I just never practiced. And if you don't... It's not going to work My out. My stuff kid gave it up because it, it cut into her downtime before the Adams family came on TV. <laughs> so, fair you enough. know, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah. So, how did, so let's talk about that because that. I just want to say that yeah. High Fidelity is opening in like a week in London. It's having its London premiere. I'm so, so are so you sorry. off? Are you off to go see it? I think I'm going to go see it. Yeah. You have not been a part of rehearsal. I have not. I've been with the back and forth because they're changing the location to London. So, I've been uh, doing that. You've doing that, well, they, they, had someone, they had someone doing it, so I've been like, yes, that's good. No, that's not so good. So you don't yeah. have to do it. You have to approve it. I have to approve it, and then I ended up, sorry, rewriting most of what they rewrote, making it good. Well, of course. Yeah. It's your baby. Of course. I totally get it. Yeah. I appreciate that they tried to take it off your plate, Yeah. but that at the end of the day, it has to be your voice. Exactly. There's no way. Exactly. But so yes. that's thrilling. It is thrilling. Is this the first non-American production of it? It's been in Germany twice. It's been, you know, a, so around. No, not your first Not your first, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's it takes place in, in the UK, so I'm excited for it to premiere there. Totally. Because yeah. that's where it all began. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you were just bringing it back. You're bringing it back home. So can you tell me a little bit about how High Fidelity happened? You're learning everything about, like, how do you get the rights? How do you adapt yeah. something? And how did that go? It went Well, thank you for asking. It was a long process. We had to figure out who owned the rights. And again, it was pre-really... I guess, I mean, the internet was around, but movie If you worked at NASA. If you No, well, not quite. <laughs> I mean, it was 99 or something. Okay. It wasn't, you know, but... Um, it wasn't as prevalent today of, of movie 
uh, companies looking to make musicals of their movies. No one was really doing that that much, you know, the, the producers, but that was about it. So right. um, it took us a long time to figure out who, and then it turned out that Disney owned the rights to the film huh. uh, because it was Touchstone Pictures, which okay. is a... Um, Connected. And connected. So uh, Tom and I got, we wrote a couple of songs on spec and we got a um, appointment for to meet with Tom Schumacher and Rick Ellis, who was then working there. And we played them two songs and they were like, okay, we'll give you the rights. And we're like, oh my God. And neither of us had agents. So then we called an agent and we're like, well, Disney has given us the rights. Da, yes. da, da, da. So we got an agent. Amazing. And then we started writing songs and... Um, I was doing a cabaret, and Tom was still my musical director, and we he knew Jen Colella, who was just kind of starting out, and a couple of other people, and our friend Mario Cantona. We had them perform our songs in, cab- in cabarets, and our agent came to see it, and he was like, these songs are really good. i got to get producers here. So he got producers there, and then we got a producer. So it Which, was kind and of, who was that? It was uh, Jeffrey Seller and Kevin McCullum and. Have Robin you guys heard Griffin. of Rent? I only ask because they <laughs> or have Hamilton a tra- or Ham- but at the time or Avenue Q, right? But yeah. at the time, Rent, Rent, Rent had happened. And, yeah, and I only bring that up because for you guys, talk about like this is real. Oh, it was so the exciting. The people who did Rent are, are producing our the touchstone show. for all of us of a certain generation exactly. are like taking was, their magic wand. That's right. That's and are right. they were they very hands on in terms of helping you guys develop it? From yeah, an it was it was like it was a it was a very steep steep learning curve for uh, me. Uh, I, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure it was for Tom and all of us as well. But um, we didn't have a book writer, and so we they 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 introduced us to David Lindsay Bear. Um, Were you aware of him as a playwright? At the I time? knew Funny Mirrors, uh-huh. yes, and I was a fan. Yes, um, so there was that, and then um, but I had never been involved with like you know all of a sudden there's three of you in a room, and then there's ten of you in a room, then there's a hundred of you in a room, and the three of us wrote a first act, and we perf- we presented it to them and it was like an hour 45 minutes long and they were like guys this sucks <laughs> you know like what you know so we had to like find a director you know i mean so it was it was um i had a lot of rude awakenings so when we how were writing you, because the thing i always think about you and i mean we all have kind of the skin we wear out in the world but they're first of all you're so funny just as a human like you're so funny thank and you know you. i'm in awe of your humor as are but you. thank yep. you but there's kind of a confidence and a way that you kind of seem to me to be able to, in my fantasy, mm-hmm. you can hear what am I wearing? Criticism. <laughs> in my fantasy, yes. it's definitely Chanel. Okay. Um, well, also you're a very elegant dresser. Oh, thank um, you. How do you handle as a first timer? Mm-hmm. You have to have the confidence to go. I can do this. Please put your money on me. I can do this. And now you're telling me some of it isn't good. Like, how are you processing I criticism? I didn't handle it very well. Okay. I did not handle it well. They, they, the first act had 15, 17 songs. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, this is way too long. And they, we had to cut like four or five of my babies. Right. And some of them I was. Are you fighting for them? I or was are you fighting tooth and nail, tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have since learned that fighting tooth or nail for everything is not 
So wise. choose your choose your battles. Choose your battles. Also, I was so fearful. I was like, what is it going to be? You know what yes. I mean? I was very fearful of letting Fair go. Fair enough, yeah. And I, I mean, now at this lofty perch in my career. Yes. No, I mean, having worked through it a few times, I did not trust the process at all. All. Well, you didn't I know the process. Terrified. Right. Uh, so I was holding on to the nail. But, um, and we finally, like, I had to let go because you can't have a first act that's an hour and 45 minutes long. And I couldn't deny that it was boring even for me. <laughs> and I'm an interested party. <laughs> so I, I eventually did let go of them. And one song ended up back in the show repurposed. And um, one I, you know, regret. We, we cut a, 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 about 15 songs from High Fidelity, more than any other show. I have worked on, um, and some of them were gems, and some mm-hmm. of them were not. But um, so they haven't shown up in other places on other records and other shows. Uh, we, I, I mean, we, I record, we recorded one of them that was cut on the cast album, right? And bonus um, track, people. bonus track, bonus track. Yeah, and uh, we perform them. I perform them in cabarets and stuff like that. But you really can't do anything with them. So what? So, so when you're working on that, mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe it's completely different now when you work, or maybe you still work the same way with Tom or whoever is making the music for the things you are writing, do you, was there a book, when you, I mean, High Fidelity is different because you're adapting something, hands on a hard body, there's already like um, an original project that you are adapting into the form of a musical. So you're not starting from scratch completely in terms of the concept. Did David Lindsay Abair, had he written the script yet? No, we did it together. All three of you yes. are writing the book together. No, he wrote the book by himself, but we are writing like beat by beat by beat. Okay. And then he went, you know, he would have his own, he'd bring ideas and right. we would bring ideas. Uh, but that I think is, I mean, that's mostly how I've worked. Always. Um, not, it's, each way is a little different, but that's, we were all kind of finding our way. So who directed High Fidelity? Walter Bobby. Hilarious. I mean, guys, I knew Walter Bobby as an actor uh-huh. years ago, and then suddenly he became like one of the most successful exactly. directors on Broadway. Yeah. So people love working with him because he was an actor and has tremendous compassion for actors and, yes. and understands like what it is to actually do it versus yeah. a director who intellectualizes what it might be like. Um is he, he guiding you guys through the was, process? Or? He was wonderful guiding us through the process. Okay. He really kind of was like, he calmed the whole situation down. And he was like, okay, David, you're going to go off and write this scene. You know, he put us, took us in hand. He's like, Tom and Amanda, you go do that. You know, so he really helped shape it very much. He was ex- instrumental in, in dramaturging it. And... Then it happens, and, and it's then on. It happens. Yes, <laughs> and then it blew up. Yes, <laughs> yes. So let's talk about that too, because okay. because there's the stuff we can control, yes. which is the making of the art. Yes, and then there's the reception of, yeah. of it, and they don't always. Not everything gets what it deserves. Absolutely. And, and obviously, High Fidelity lives on because it's a gorgeous show with a Thank character you. at the center that we love, mm-hmm. and the songs are amazing. Um, and it was awarded, and you were rewarded in all sorts of ways, but it didn't have the life on Broadway that one would have hoped for it. At least two weeks would have been better than one. But so yes, okay. that's a huge thing. To, oh, when you huge. think of like what went into making this thing. Huge, And yeah. then you're like, how are we a poster at Joe Allen's? Like, what's happening? So how do you, first time out of the gate, you've had it all kind of be extraordinary. Yeah. And then it's it's like harshly... Um, treated, unfairly yeah. treated. I agree. Yeah. 
How do you get up and keep going? It was rough. It was super rough. Super rough on all of us. Um, I... Uh, David had another project to work on, which was awesome. Tom was working on um, Next to Normal. I did not have a next project. I put all of my eggs in this basket, and right. it was devastating, absolutely devastating. It took me a long time to get over it, and uh, I wanted to pick myself up the next day and do that, but I just was I was devastated. Right. It, took, it just took time. Luckily, you know, Amanda, I, I mean, I hope it's okay to say this. She's married to a doctor. Um, was that helpful? Oh yeah, he could prescribe me all the meds I needed. <laughs> no, it was it was uh, literally it was helpful because I didn't have to worry that I couldn't pay my rent the right. next month. That's I, right. I, that is a huge thing. I mean, and the anti anxiety you know, meds. Tom, yeah, and the and, and Tom, you know, uh, was you know we were all you know like kids. Your life is about to change. They didn't say how it was going to change, yes. but the next you know in two weeks he was back playing at the uh, restaurant. You know, playing the 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 piano at the right, bar right um while so developing this other thing that absolutely became which didn't normal. pay him for you know a couple of years the company manager went right by him in the theater as well mr kit there is no paycheck for you today. that's correct yes. it did not stop it mr kit uh so yeah so it's uh it was very helpful of course not having to worry about paying the rent uh in terms of uh, myself as an artist as i said it took um it took a lot of time. I mean, singing helped, again, as it always does, like being able to sing in cabarets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what my next project was after that. Not um, Debbie Does Dallas. Not no, yet. No, oh, we, we, Debbie Does Dallas, I only wrote one song in Debbie Does Dallas. That's kind of a Wikipedia misnomer. Right. Um, Tom and I wrote a filthy song for Debbie Does Dallas. But it's in there. It is in there. Yes, put it in it's there. not a misnomer. It's actually no. something you had to write on. You had to get out of bed, write a song. I definitely got out of bed and yes. wrote a song. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I did keep myself busy and, 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 uh, eventually I did, you know, I did recover and get whole and, you know. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm thinking of, uh, hands on a hard body is not next. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. And then hands on a hard body sort of happened. Oh, you know, I, the first thing that happened after that actually was beginning hands on a hard body. That's what really got me out of bed. So did you see the documentary? Uh, How did Doug that Wright to came to me. He mm-hmm. had seen the documentary, and he and I uh, became friends through a mutual friend, and we were looking for something to work on together, and he came to me with that. So I had that, uh, you know, it, like six months after High Fidelity, that just that, that spark came back into my life, thank God. You know, it took it would only take another, you know, six short years <laughs> to see it realized. Wait, but are, really, we, are you still 12 or 13 at this I point? I forget now, this I'm story. <laughs> Oh, you did I you think I had just, that? it was senior year. <laughs> I uh, was 62. I mean, honestly, the years are piling up now. Yes. But so, no, I mean, that it was great. Even though it took so, really, you know, as an artist, having something to keep your mind on and work on and look forward to really keeps you going. Yes. It doesn't take that much. But people might not realize, like, six years, that's the average. What you're saying average. right now From is not the crazy. idea in our heads to like, hey, let's, could we do this? To yes. seeing it on a Broadway stage was six years. Yeah. So... Lynn Manuel Lynn Manuel. Manuel Miranda uh, wrote on that show. Bring it on! Bring it on! Yes. right. So that's after Hands on a Hard they Body. They were contiguous, if I can. So say you're that. working on both things together. Yes, back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Had yeah. you known uh, Lynn before that? He 
Uh, I had met him. I, th- we had the same producers for, yes. you know, in the Heights as High Fidelity. Kevin and Jeffrey. <laughs> Kevin and Jeffrey. And I think Robin Goodman as well. So the same trio. So we we got to know each other a little bit. Um, and then uh, the team was together for, for Bring It On. I think I was the last piece of the puzzle. So it was Tom and Jeff Whitty and Lynn and uh, Andy Blankenbuehler and Alex Lacamoire. And I was like, oh, my God, who wouldn't want to join that team? Had you seen In the Heights? Oh, yes. I loved In the okay. Heights. Oh, so you God. knew how special course, they were and course, it was. Of course. And Alex Lacamoire had worked on High Fidelity. And, you know, so. So all it's kind of this wonderfully, inc- not incestuous, because that no, gives but it's a the same as a lot of uh, c- continuity. Yes. Working with people. That's again. the word. Yes. Not incest. Continuity. Yes. Because. <laughs> They're We're different. not related and we didn't have sex. No. So not in that respect. No. no. Did you have sex with any I'm of those gonna, people? Uh, not to the best of my knowledge. That's all we can hope for. <laughs> That's no. all we can hope for. Yeah. And then for um, Hands on a Hard Body, you're suddenly working with someone from like the rock world. Yes. Or the indie music world, well, however yeah, you fish. describe um, it. I, again, honestly, my friend, I had a friend named Dr. Dave McDowell who sadly passed away, who was... Uh, one of my husband's best friends and went to college with Doug Wright. So that's how I know Doug okay. Wright. And he introduced me to Trey Anastasio. Because they were in uh, some group together. I mean, not, not, not college a, not together. A, not college. Right? He was a doctor. Okay. Uh, they were friends. And he said he knew that Trey was always looking around for people. And he said, you should meet my friend Amanda. And he said, Amanda, you should meet Trey Anastasio from Fish. And I was like, what? What are we talking and, about? Um, you know, we. it turns out we live a block and a half away from each other. And Had you been a Fish fan no i didn't i really your, i knew the your name vibe. but yes. i didn't know the music and um, i knew how to spell it ironically uh, yeah yeah <laughs> um and then i uh we met each other and he was delightful and gr- i could tell he was a great musician he was not like and a, was he interested in musical theater he confessed to me in our first conversation that he'd always dreamed of writing a musical and i said well i've always dreamed of being a rock star so this should work out Hello. really well yes and we wrote a couple of songs together he's very fast super smart wicked smart and it was so much fun writing pop songs with him and we wrote I don't know if the word is pop songs, but we wrote a couple of really good songs together. And I had been working with Doug. I had almost, I'd written a score for Hands on a Hard Body because we couldn't find the right composer. So I was like, well, I think this song goes like this. And he was, and so you're like plunking it out. I wrote a, I wrote almost a whole score and we were going to have a reading. And I was like, some of these songs are great and some of them are not, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just felt I, I am not musically sophisticated enough to write a score. I can write a song, but I can't, you know, in terms of everything was in the key of D. I mean, I don't know, you know. And when you say that as a non, not being Alex Lacamoire or whatever, um, in terms of your your piano skills, are you just like getting the melody out? No, no, no. I know how to play chords and stuff like that. But um, And I wrote uh, some, uh, several of the songs are music and lyrics by me, but... um, I really wanted somebody who was sophisticated musically. And I, uh, the more I knew him, the more I saw that he could write in anything. He was so fluid. He'd written classical. He'd written the thing. And um, so I asked him if he would work on it. And I sent him the, the uh, documentary. And he met with Doug. And he said yes. So when he took over, you know, then he and I spent a feverish, like, two weeks going through the score. And he'd, like, no, he'd toss, you know, keep that, toss that, you know. That's very fast. Oh, he was, he works really fast. Okay. And, uh, I mean, we didn't have a finished product. But he would, you know, uh, 
he took the opening number and pulled it apart and wrote tons of new music and I'd write lyrics to his music. It was really a, a wonderful, fertile period. Not to go back, because I know you want to go forward, but when you were a kid or even a teen, did you ever observe Comden and Green at work? Was there, have, did I you didn't. have like... I didn't. Okay. I always got a sense that they were inspired because as performers, they were so inspired and joyful. But I have to say, I mean, the such a happy surprise of writing when you're working with somebody you click like that. It's just, there's nothing better. It's so much so fun. So talk about that. Like what, how does it work? And is it like you're on fire and finishing each other's sentences or? A little bit. It's bit when you're in a room with somebody you trust, uh, as I, I did trust him, he would pull something apart and say like, nah, that's boring. Make it more about this. And, and I was like, lyrics that I thought were great. I was like, okay. I trust you. I'm throwing out these lyrics. Uh-huh. I'll come up with something better. And we came up with something better. You know, so it's like you test yourself. You, It's like you you trust that they'll catch you. You'll trust that they, you know, it doesn't always work out. Right. You know, but, you know, it's really exciting, you know. I can only imagine. Yeah. And so how, like, what is your process? Do you, like, I write in the morning or I need this? Or, like, where do you draw your inspiration from? And, and what is your process? Interesting. It's di- it really is different each yeah. time. Um, my process is usually, a, as anyone will tell you, a deadline. Right. So Otherwise, your process is, is procrastinating. Yes. <laughs> I love working in the morning. Okay. I really like working. Are you in an the early riser? Or I'm not? an early riser, but I have two dogs who are a total pain in the ass. Yeah. Who I love, but I the first hour of the day is theirs. Right. Um, and because uh, no matter how early I wake up. That's when they want to go out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first hour of the day is like, theirs. Sometimes I have a dog. I'm like so quiet. I'm so like, quiet. She won't hear me. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, nope. I'm here. I'm she's... here at the door yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. time to go. <laughs> you can't fool me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I actually, I have a, a coffee shop, even though I have a lovely apartment, there's a coffee shop where just for some reason it's, there's music playing. There's the, it doesn't matter. I you get can write zone. lyrics even if there's music playing. Yeah. It what? Just, it's just this one place. I don't know. It's magic. I won't tell you what the coffee shop is. No, it's, it's yours. Yes. No one. We don't want people stealing um, it. But once I have a song on the brain and I'm in the middle of it, it will happen anywhere. As, and usually as I'm doing something, you know, if I'm walking or on the subway or something, then I will get – once I'm in the zone with a song, it, it comes to be. And I, I text – I email myself lyrics all the time. So, <laughs> I bet, so your voice memos are filled with – I was filled with, yeah, noises of the subway and going like, when she talks, that, that, you know, I mean, just, you know, like, what am I saying? What was that? that? What was that gold when yes, she talks? Exactly. That's a, my podcast song. I feel like you were writing that when for she me. talks, people listen. Whether they want to or not, they're <laughs> listening. Talk to me a little bit about, because it's not always the two lyricists work together. Right. Mm-hmm. Often there's a lyricist and a composer That's and a book writer. Right. Yes. Yeah. But you mentioned that you and Lynn were both writing. What was that like? And why was that, that there was both of you? It was both of us uh, because uh, Andy Blankenbuehler's concept was that it would be a half hip hop score and half like pop mm-hmm. score. And he wanted Tom and well, turned out to be me writing the pop and Lynn to write, you know, the hip hop. And, um, that's how we started. We got our separate song assignments, and we wrote a draft. Uh, and, but even there, there was a song we were like, okay, well, Lynn can write this part, and there's a pocket in the middle where mm-hmm. Tom and I can do, you know, add a, our part. Um, we did a draft that way, and then we ended up rewriting that's that's uh, show more than any show I've ever <laughs> worked on Why? in my life. Why? Because it had many. It started out at the Alliance Theater, and then it went to the 
um, to the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles and did a national tour, and then it went to Broadway. So, um, are there different artistic directors weighing in at each of those? No, places? it was the producers, mean, and we because yeah. it's a, it, even though it's based on a movie, it was its own beast. I hate using the word beast, but it was. Why? We, Why do you hate us, using the word beast? I just don't like the word. It, maybe it's my beast, but I think we had to say that at BMI. Like, it, oh, that's really? Because instead of like, you weren't allowed to say like, I don't like it, you know. So people would, you know, because that's not sure, helpful. No. But you would have constructive to say, like, criticism. Maybe it's my beast, but I think that's really stupid. You know, like, wow. But, but anyway, that was like a phrase uh, that they used there. Maybe it's my there. beast. Yeah, I still have. Maybe PTSD it's my beast. From, maybe it's my beast. Yes, but um, it took us a long time to figure out the show, and we rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. So after a while, again, it was we had a level of trust with each other, and uh, we ended up co-writing several songs, which was really fun. Yeah, and it would he would write some lyrics, and I would write some lyrics, or else we'd all be in the room and go, "What's this about?" Mm-hmm. and 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 contribute things back and forth, and like that. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and also, with all of your shows, there is there was time before it came to New York to kind of futz with it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, is that the part of it? Like, what's the part you like best? She's drinking water. I'm taking a sip of water. Mm-hmm. I think the part... Usually a Foley artist puts that in, but that's mm-hmm. actually Amanda mm-hmm. drinking. Um, <laughs> the part I... God, who knows? There are a lot of good parts. Yeah. Um, as I said, being in the room and and uh, feeling that you're all on the same page and being creative is really super fun. Hearing actors sing it for the first time is super fun. Super fun. Probe. The zitz, well, the zitz probe is thrilling, but even in the earlier stages, yeah. the first time it's not you screlting it, you know, in your living room and you're hearing a wonderful singer interpret it as thrilling. Not everyone does what you do, which is also continues to perform mm-hmm. even while you're writing work for other people. Yeah. Um, how do you decide when to take on it? First of all, it's a huge thing to learn many, many songs to do in one evening, right? Like, it's a lot. It's but a lot of they're work. your songs. Is that, that true? Yes. that's. I mean, learning the songs is the easy part. Really? That's, Have you ever forgotten nothing. lyrics of your own songs? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times. But yeah. no, that is not the hard part. It's just, it really is the, um, that's, I, I love performing and I, I never want to stop Do you get nervous that. before you walk out on stage? I don't really. I mean, wow. that's not true. I have some nerves, but uh, again, the nerves are really... <laughs> the nerves everyone has is anyone going to come? Yes, um, and once we'll, you see people are out there, yeah, you're okay. I'm okay, uh, or and also think you know, oh my god, that song is under rehearsed. Will I remember the patter? Because I, you know, I like to write. I write what I'm going to say. Right. Uh, will I set up a song in the right way? Will has this? I, I have a lot of guest singers, right? And they're fantastic. The logistics of setting, you know, right, I mean, you're you producing set up a pod because I'm yeah. producing it. It's a nightmare. Yes, <laughs> it's all no, terrible. It's a lot. That's not the fun it. part. But working with incredibly talented people and, and performing is, is so much fun. So not everyone gets nominated for a Tony. 
They do not. Uh, that was so exciting. Can you just talk a little bit about that morning and were, did you suspect that it might be coming your way? What I was... did. It was, you know, it was, again, a mixed blessing because Hands on Heart Body had closed. So, again, I was, again, reeling from you know, and disappointed. But, but it was um, like, were the odds in Vegas, like, actually, even though... Because it, it's hard when something's closed to still feel like, do they remember that we did this yeah, thing? Yeah, it wasn't that radar? long ago. So it, that was... Uh, it felt I, fresh. I, it felt fresh. I was nominated for... I got three Drama Desk nominations that year. That was right. very exciting. Right. Um, and other, So there's momentum. If you there's space, momentum, but I really did. I you. couldn't. I was too nervous to... to Believe uh, it could happen. Or to sit there. You know, so right. my friend called me... My one of my best friends, Cindy Kaplan. Do you know Cindy? I Kaplan? love Cindy Kaplan. Yeah, she called me. She was like, "Okay, have you gone online?" And I was like, "What? What? 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 What?" So she told me. Oh, so it wasn't an agent calling. It wasn't. That's how you found out. Yeah, yeah. Sweet Cindy Kaplan. Sweet Cindy who Kaplan. listens to this podcast, and she will hear this. Cindy Kaplan. Yes. Thank you so much. She was an early listener, a funny, funny woman, and Very a great funny. writer. Just yep. by the way, folks. That so is so true. Follow Cindy Kaplan. Yes. In all the places. Um. I want to ask you about what's coming up because part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast, aside from your tremendous body of work uh, that I've admired for so long, is we recently saw each other at a benefit. Mm-hmm. Cannot remember what it's for right now, but it was really a wonderful night. It was great. Um, and you started uh, to talk about and share with the audience something that you're working on, something that had started at Williamstown uh, mm-hmm. that is going to have a life, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yes. Yes. So talk about it, the premise, what's happening with it. Okay. It's a show, it's an original musical comedy called Female Troubles. Uh, It's an idea that I came up with with my friend Curtis Moore, the composer. Mm -hmm. Um, It combines, uh, we we wanted to find something fun to write together, and... um, it combines our love of musical comedy and my concern about women's reproductive freedoms. Uh, and I thought those two could never coexist. But alas. <laughs> but, but, but no, I mean, the uh, musical comedy yes. and women's reproductive freedoms. In one, in one place. In one place. But we found a funny way in, uh, which I... Um, so it's called Female Troubles. It uh, takes place in the 19th century in England, and we like to describe it as Jane Austen meets Bridesmaids, but about women's reproductive freedoms. And it's kind of like if Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice was engaged to Darcy, and they had had sex one night before, uh, and then he was off on a ship for a year, and once he's gone, she finds out she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she and her gal pals run away from home to go to London to seek the services of a midwife who advertises cures for women with female troubles. Right. So what, so I got to hear a song. It's hilarious. And Amanda performed it so beautifully and it was so much fun. Um, What happens now? Well, we uh, corralled these two fantastic uh, writers, these two women who were right for Veep and who have written for Every other TV sh- funny TV show you know, uh, Jen Crittenden and Gabby Allen. Uh, so they, they're they writing the book. Uh, we wrote a draft. We had an early reading at Second Stage Theater. We had a reading at the Geffen. We did a 29-hour uh, reading culminating in a performance at Williamstown. Um, and now we're just figuring out where we're going to take it out of town. Uh, Scott Ellis is directing it. Um, it's super exciting. Is it cast yet or any no, of the parts? No, no. Okay. I mean, we did a reading with with wonderful actors. I mean, you know, New York is a... It's just an embarrassment. It is. Too many talented people. Fantastic actors. You cannot 
not bump into a talented That's person. Right. That's so right. once you sort of know where it's happening and when it's happening, then, then we'll you'll start it. reaching yes. out to the people. Exactly. Um, I'm also writing a musical with Billy Crystal. I told you that. So, but not on air. Well, now we know. Sorry. I didn't <laughs> Talk about that. No. It's called Mr. Saturday Night. It's based on a movie that Billy Crystal wrote, directed, and starred in. And he is uh, writing the book with this, uh, for this with uh, Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans, his uh, sidekicks. And Jason Robert Brown and I are writing the score. So did you know Billy Crystal before? No. Well, what's he like? Uh, he's he's delightful. I mean, he's Billy Crystal. I, I, I still would have... Um, shock you know i'd be talking to him and i was like i'm talking to billy crystal That's right like now me. my lips are moving Farrow. while i'm you're talking to Farrow. billy crystal yes <laughs> do you exactly. know you're Farrow? you did rosemary's baby do you know you did that movie billy crystal i'm just gonna say two words to you city slickers <laughs> and in fact the people in this room with you i'm gonna say that to you too That's all right. of your names are That's on right. the credits for That's city right. slickers That's so crazy yeah. so has that begun in earnest are you yes and well i I convinced, uh, thank God, Jason Robert Brown mm. to join me. Have you worked with him before? No, I'm a huge fan, and um, I didn't. I, I was just like, would you ever consider, you know, writing music? So and now Jason composes and is a lyricist of as well. Course. So in this, yeah. in this configure, in this he's partnership, the composer, uh-huh. and I'm the lyricist. Un- Believable. And it's been delightful. We've had several readings, and uh, you know, Knockwood, it will, uh, you know, come to Broadway. Amanda, I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I'm so proud of you. Oh, gosh. You're just so talented. You have brought so much joy to all of us who love musical theater. Um, And I wonder if before you go, if there are any little known facts about you that you might want to share with my listeners. I was the original Gary Coleman in Avenue Q. What happened? Um, I was, Bobby Lopez was part of uh, BMI and he and Jeff Marks and they asked me to play Gary Coleman. I did, I played Were Gary Coleman. Were they aware of early... you having been in a West, uh, was it West Side Story that you did a chimichanga camp? Yeah, chimichanga camp. <laughs> they were, the, the word had gotten out. Chimney trunk? Chimney corners. <laughs> the word had gotten out. By the way, once when I was, I, I was in Nashville doing, um, a, a songwriters thing with very talented songwriters and and they passed around everybody's you know credits and mine was starred as Maria at West Side Story at Jimmy Corner's camp because someone like, mentioned yes, I have someone, yes I did someone mentioned it in an article and then it ended up on Wikipedia so I'm very that, that looms large isn't it amazing um I cannot wait to see Female Troubles. Thank you. I can't wait to see Mr. Saturday Night. Thank you. And all the things. And in your next show. And I hope you'll come on again and we can just keep talking about all the things. Because now we are, you are now 14. And we have to get to more recent times. So That's this was true. We stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on the podcast. It was so my pleasure. I'm so thrilled. Thank you. All right. Until next time. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. 
So if you love the show, please donate. Hey, I am so excited to share some news with you guys. For the last few months, I've been working on another project that I've been calling Little Known Facts 2.0, Stage Network, an incredible new streaming platform which promises to be Netflix for theater lovers, asked me to do Little Known Facts as a filmed series, a talk show, as it were, in front of cameras. And I really thought about it for a long time because the thing that's made this podcast so special is that all of my guests have been able to share deep, intimate truths about their lives because we are in this tiny, comforting, confessional that is the podcast booth. And I really had to think hard, could I still deliver the same kind of intimate, raw, hilarious, and unique interviews if cameras were involved? But I think I figured it out. And I'm so grateful to Stage Network for allowing me to make my dream of sharing incredible friends with you in this whole new way. So I shot six episodes. The first one uh, is with Ben Platt. Other guests include Celia Keenan-Bolger, Zachary Quinto, George Salazar, Nikki M. James, John Slattery. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to share them with you. Stage Network really is an amazing place. Not only is it filled with incredible original content, uh, it has licensed so much theater-related content, documentaries and films and all sorts of incredible programming. I feel like I dreamed up a network and someone else created it and here it is. And the fact that I'm involved in even a small way with this incredible, incredible network is just truly an honor. So to that end, uh, to watch all of the content, including Little Known Facts, the series, go to watchstage.com. Enjoy, and I hope you like it. Little Known Facts is edited by Nicholas Klar and recorded in New York City. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.